Hello and welcome to a new music podcast, Sounding Bored. That's bored as in fatigued, impatient and fed up. So, B-O-R-E-D. Not that we wish to come across thus in this inaugural or subsequent episodes. The focus will be a blend of current music discussion and a large ladle full of retrospective. If you end up liking what you hear, we're aiming for an episode once a month. And while we're here, I'll underline that you won't hear any actual music on Sounding Board, bar the theme tune, more on which later. Steve Lebac, The Guardian and other luminaries can't get permission to play music on their shows. So what hope would we have? Instead, we're going to focus on opinions and narratives around the music, while we'll trust that the YouTube, SoundCloud and Spotify can direct you to the actual stuff that we're talking about. Today, we're looking at the end-of-year top 10s for 2015 across a range of the websites and media, and our album of the month is Savage's Adore Life. We'll then provide a few personal thoughts on the passing of David Bowie, an event that has truly overshadowed all else in January 2016, But first, an introduction to my fellow panellists. First of all, we have Neil Kennedy. Hiya, uh, I'm Neil. I'm a long-term listener to this podcast (laughs) here from the start. Um, I'm a a huge music fan. I've been for just about as long as I can remember. Um, And probably spent far too long thinking about, talking about, writing about music. um, And not enough time on all the other things in my life. One favourite band? Uh, my favourite band of all times, Fugazi. Fugazi, good choice. And next we have Ben Woolhead. Uh, I'm a, also a very long-term music fan. Um, unlike Neil, I'm very much a, uh, a non-musician, so I, I like to sort of <laughs> skulk in the corners at gigs and uh, write nasty things about people. Um, <laughs> uh, always wish I could could have could have played, but uh, sadly not to be. Um, so much for talking about. Um, and I should introduce myself. I'm Rob Langham, uh, totally non-qualified on the music front <laughs> in terms of being tone deaf, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, in terms of internet presence, I'm a purveyor of a long-running blog on football, soccer, to any American listeners out there, uh, Two Unfortunates, which uh, Ben and Neil have both written for as well. But we're hoping to branch out a bit with this podcast going down some musical routes. So this week... It's been a couple of weeks now since David Bowie passed on, and we're going to talk a bit more about that later on. But uh, anything, chaps, that's uh, caught your attention in the news? Um, well, there was an awful lot seemed to happen on Thursday, which was the 21st. Um, first of all, there was the announcement of the Primavera lineup, um, which is always good, but absolutely astonishing this year. Well, um, I haven't I, seen it. Well, the, the headliners, uh, headliners, I think, or nominal headliners are Radiohead, uh, PJ Harvey and LCD Sound System, reformed LCD Sound System, and the list of bands that are playing. Obviously, Shellac are playing. Yeah. Beach House, Savages. Yeah. So many bands playing. Um, Brian Wilson's playing Pet Sounds. So you know, it really is quite a staggering lineup. <laughs> um, and you know, ha- having been to, um, I've only been to one Primavera event, which before, which was actually the Porto one uh, in twenty twelve. And even then, with a sort of scaled down lineup, it, it's sort of mind boggling how good how good it is. Um, so how people are going to sort of fare who want to go and see the people will be missing loads of great stuff I think to be honest because yeah. there's so much to see um, on the subject of PJ Harvey on the same day her new single The Wheel got its first play on Radio 6 Music um, that's from her forthcoming album uh, The Hope 6 Demolition Project which is eagerly anticipated by me uh, at least because 
I personally thought uh, the last one let England shake was probably a career high. Um, also on the same day, um, it was revealed that Iggy Pop and Josh Homme had been collaborating on something that no one knew about, um, a new project, Post-Prop Depression. Mm. Um, it seems now that it's actually going to be an Iggy Pop album that's produced by Josh Homme, but still very intriguing, I think. Um, and finally, um, there was the second return of the notoriously combustible quintet at the drive-in. Um, yeah. <laughs> they reformed in 2012, um, but specifically um, without producing any new music. Yeah. Um, and this time they've said there will be new music, um, which is, I think it's quite good. They're not going to rest on the laurels. Um, that said, it's a very risky business to try and produce a worthy successor to Relationship with Command, which is what they bowed out with. Yeah. Um, and they all fell in, out massively. They did after fall out massively, yeah. Records. Um, yeah. And they, it seemed like a very uncomfortable reunion uh, in 2012. But um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, They've announced some dates as well. Um, certainly, the, the only UK date um, thus far was at Camden Roundhouse, and that sold out immediately. Right. Um, so there's a tour to go with it as well. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with with that. Definitely. Um, could you remind us where Primavera is taking place this year? Uh, it's in Barcelona, um, and there's a sort of scaled down version in Porto as well. Right. Um, yeah. So it's. Um, I've. I've not been to the. Have you been to the? I've not been to no, the Barcelona no, one. I've never been to Barcelona. Um, I, know that I know plenty of people who've been. And, yeah. Um, I think it's it's on the beach in Barcelona, I think, and uh, like the, you were saying, because of the amount of bands that are on, yeah. people are running from one side yeah, of this kind absolutely. of like huge space to the other to try and catch as much as possible. Um, the Porto one is much the same. It's on a sort of uh, in a in a park that's by the sea, right. um, so it's not actually in the city centre. It's a bit of a, a sort of tram ride out, but it's it's a very um, very efficient transport system and uh, it's a really nice setting sort of natural amphitheatre and uh, it's very pleasant well hopefully on a future podcast we'll look at festivals and I think you've touched on an issue there that's quite an important one which is how on earth do you see everything at a festival <laughs> yeah, like that so, yeah. but we won't go into that in too much detail I'd expect our kind of May or June edition to maybe be the real kind of big maybe even a whole um, edition uh, devoted to festivals uh from my point of view i guess music news not really news it's a release because we have one album that we're concentrating on each month uh, i'd like to mention one others which is the tinder sticks album which uh is a new one first one for four years i think uh interestingly jenny beth from savages actually provides guest vocals on, on one of the tracks which is probably the standout track actually so I think uh, something to look out for there. More of the same from one of Britain's most consistent bands, I think, over the last few years. What's it called, Rob? Do you know off the top of your head? I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. The Waiting Room, I think. Yes, yeah, 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 right. yeah. It's yeah. got a sort of sad-looking donkey on the front cover or something. Yeah, it's sort of shade, dressed as a donkey. Shades of Donnie Darko a little yeah, bit, I think, yeah, yeah with that cover. But, uh, yeah, certainly sort of their real, really majestic band. They did a great session on uh, Mark Riley last week as well on... Yeah. BBC um, and Neil, anything that comes uh, the to only idea? thing I thought might be worth just kind of touching on is uh, that this week in the UK is Independent Venue Week. Um, I think there are well, I've got, I've got no idea how many venues are taking part, but it's definitely nationwide. And in some cities, such as Oxford, where we're sitting right now, I think at least there are three venues that have got things on over the uh, over the week. And then, obviously, in London, there's, there's tons of stuff and, and all over the country as well. But um, I think one of, the, one of the things that came out of the um, reasoning behind it was uh, I noticed a stat that I think 40% of venues 
in London have shut in the last sort of year or so, and it's the same across the UK. So it's a real kind of endemic um, sort of failing of a lot of music venues um, over the last few years, which kind of makes something like Independent Venue Week all the more important for anyone who cares about going to live mm. music. Absolutely. So for our first big feature today, and we're going to have different rolling features over the next few months, including some regular and irregular series, we, in the style of men of certain ages <laughs> the world over, are going to devote our time to some poring over lists. Um, with Nick Hornby, I think, is seen as the, uh, the inventor of such a thing. Um, but we're just going to look at some of the end of year top tens, which I think we all enjoy looking at, not least because it's a really good way of finding out, you know, albums maybe that you might have missed or not listened to earlier in the year. And I, I certainly use it as a, as a point to, 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 to do that. Uh, so we're going to look at sort of primarily a few of the end of year top tens in three um, places in the media. Pitchfork, which uh, most of you will know is possibly the kind of successor to the NME in being the kind of global um, arbiter of taste, one might put it, in sort of indie music and and other forms of rock and pop. Uh, American website. Quietus, which is a UK concern, which uh, we will talk about their stance, which is, you know, quite different, I think it's fair to say, in a bit. And then just to keep it sort of a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more Britain, um, the Guardian rundown, which to be honest isn't a hugely amount different from the Pitchfork one, uh, is another one that we, is going to come into our thinking. Uh, obviously, we're we're, gonna, we're on Twitter at, um, at SoundingBoard69, so if there's anything you want to add to our deliberations here, do let us know. Um, I'm not going to read out the top tens because I think that might be like even more boring than what we've had to listen to so far. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I just wanted to sort of poke a few questions out, tease out a few things about the top tens, which I think there are some interesting trends. And first of all, two of the albums, um, you know, we're, we're pretty highly up the, all of these and also in other listings like National Public Radio's one in the US. And that's the Sufjan Stevens album, Carrie and Lowell. And Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, which sort of dominated the polls, really, I think, those two albums. Um, Neil, um, the Sufjan Stevens album, uh, quite short, um, quite acoustic. Um, Was it a full return to form or should he have perhaps stayed with some of the experimentation that we saw on his previous album, The Age of Ads? No, I'd definitely say it's a return to form for him. I think Age of Ads is quite a... Well, personally, I find it a pretty cold, hard album. I think especially coming after um, Illinois, which was quite sprawling, but had a lot of kind of moments of heart. Even though this album has a lot of introspection, I think Age of Ages felt, almost felt one stage removed for it, whereas because of the kind of acoustic nature of Carrie and Lowell, you're much more right in the middle of the emotions that he's singing about um and i think it's just i think it's just a consistently strong album across the sort of 10 tracks that are on the record which i don't think even the biggest fan could say necessarily about illinois and i think on a much shorter album with age of ads i don't think it was anywhere near as kind of consistent as that record i think it's justifiably you know a really decent record to feature in all these end of year lists Mm. um 
and yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's a very strong album. Um, wouldn't necessarily reach for kind of alt folk, but I think or alt country or whatever you want to call it. But I think he's certainly if he he's certainly the one person doing it who you know kind of transcends that sort of uh, often quite navel casing <laughs> kind of light aspects of the genre. It's interesting because that genre wasn't underrepresented in the polls. Was there was the uh, Father John Misty album Definitely, as well, which yeah. was quite prominent. <clears throat> Kurt Vile as well. I don't know if you'd necessarily yeah. put him in that camp, but kind of the, kind of similar. I think there were men of a certain age, probably our age or maybe slightly <laughs> older, who are always going to be attracted to that type of music. Yeah, sure. And as evidence, I think a few years ago, where one of Bob Dylan's albums was the album of the year in I think Uncut uh, and this was one that was released in 2010 and you think really? Yeah. No, surely not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah so I think um, no I, I like it as well I think it's really good I think the the, um, the Blue Bucket of Gold the last track is a particular high mm. point um, beautiful album beautiful singer really I think and yeah. um, I think Age of Ads did overdo the bombast a bit um, and I'm going to mention that again in a, in a minute because I think one thing that Age of Ads, which I don't want to talk about an album that was released five years ago too much, that one thing that characterised it was Sprawl. And the other album that I mentioned at the start of this section of the podcast uh, that could also quite rightly be accused of such a thing is Kendrick Lamar's album, which is apparently Barack Obama's favourite album of the year. Um, whether that's he definitely kiss... doesn't have advisors. I wonder, no. I wonder which is going to be Donald Trump's favourite album, we, but we shall see. Um, which I think is, you know, in common with a lot of those sort of landmark hip-hop albums that we've heard over the last few years, I think in particular of Outkast's, you know, Speaker Box The Love Below, which I think is 12 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, magnificent, really. I mean, like a, a real statement, you know, very important kind of post-Ferguson statement that's angry and important about, uh, you know, about sort of race and and sort of identity in the United States. But it, but it is long. And, uh, you know, that's something I just wanted to ask you guys. I mean, you know, when you think in, in particular, the last track is a track which consists of an interview, which is very interesting. But how many times do you want to listen to an interview, you know, on, on an album, you know, when it comes yeah. on the iPod? So... Um, that's that's my main quibble with it, and I, I just wonder, you know, whether you see that is that a trend that, that bands feel that in order to make a statement they have to create something really really long. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, on, on, as far as Sophie and Stevens goes, I, I have to say I haven't actually heard Age of Ads or the latest one, but I felt Illinois. I really liked parts of it, but I also felt that was too long and too yeah. indulgent. Mm-hmm. That's what frustrated me about, it, and that's what kind of turned me off it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not. And it, it completely against um, albums that on the surface are quite indulgent. I mean, one of my favourite albums ever is Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Now, sure. no one could accuse that of being concise um, <laughs> or succinct. Um, it, it's, it's extremely indulgent. And I think all of the songs have got merit, to be honest. At, at, at first, I wasn't sure, but I think yeah. all songs have got merit. Um, but that kind of suggests someone who is not a very good editor of his own work. And at the same time, yeah. I was thinking about this and... Pisces Iscariot, to my mind, is a fantastic album, and that's just a B-sides album. That's yeah. sort of that he could trim mm. if he wanted to. Um, so I'm not. Um, I think sometimes, yeah, a, a lean, clean album is is uh, is definitely has more impact. But then at the same time, sometimes I listen to an album and I think this is long, but I'm not sure where you could really trim it without it losing yeah. something of its impact. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Swans are a band that I think yes. we all like, and that's yeah. another one of their last two albums have been sort of a right <laughs> haul, but, you yeah. know, value for money, I think, is a yeah. polite way of putting it. But then, and I'm sure that's, it's not 
how Michael Gere is kind of thinking, but they're going to feat, and they did feature in end of year top ten rundowns mm. those Swans albums because they had that kind of epic cachet mm. to them, mm. um, and you know I think there is a lot of that. Um, I mean, Titus Andronicus, the way I came across them, that was for um, the album, uh, the album, The Monitor, um, from a few years back, was featured in an end of year list. And that was, for what ostensibly is a punk album, was very sprawling, you know, um, although nowhere near as sprawling as the three, the triple, C, the triple kind of LP album they brought out this year, Most Lamentable Tragedy, um, you know, which mm. just. You know, I, I heard some of the songs live and just thought I don't really need, you know, <laughs> sort of two hours of this. Um, there's definitely... It does make you think if you were just a new band who comes out and releases an album that's just ten really good three-minute songs, are you doing yourself out of the kind of critical affirmation that comes with these end-of-year lists? Because you haven't got a big concept around... The album that you're trying to put across, because that Car- Carrie and Lowell, although it's not a long album, it's quite short. is a concept album about his mother and his stepfather, and it's okay. It's very far removed from the concept that's there is with the Kendrick Lamar album, but that seems to be what kind of captures the imagination. That, oh, this person's really thought about the concept behind this record, as opposed to this person's thought about writing. 10 really good songs and putting them together and having a good coherent mm. you know, record. I think it's also a saying that, that the certain types of <clears throat> music that you kind of feel is suited to a, a short punch album, like you think like a punk album is sure. going to be short songs, short album. Yeah. But I, I really love um, particularly early um, And You'll Notice by The Trail of Dead. Now their yeah. albums are usually quite long, the songs are quite long and I think that really suits them. And they explicitly said I think that they didn't want to they were kicking against the the pricks really in yeah. the sense they were they were um they were a punk band but they were trying to be completely ambitious they found it very narrow minded what a lot of people were doing and they wanted to write these big proggy sort of albums yeah. um which did was something different to what they were doing live um but they they saw them as two completely different things mm-hmm. um as far as the top tens are concerned um Australia was one country that was pretty well represented actually and Ben in particular um you know, a newcomer, I think, to these kind of levels in end of year lists would be Courtney Barnett and her album finished number nine in the Pitchfork poll and number seven in the Guardian poll. So uh, I thought you had, you're familiar with the album. We have a I am, yeah. Um, yeah. This is off what you were saying before, actually. This is an album that I only actually got onto listening to having seen it in end of year polls, which is okay. pretty terrible. Mm. I had people telling me that it was good all year and then didn't <laughs> get around to listen to it, and I have now. Um, and it is absolutely wonderful. Um, it's hook-laden songs, there's, there's real wit and wisdom. Um, I think it's rare to come across um, quite such an original voice. Um, she she, she has, sings in a, in a natural Australian accent, but it's not just, it's, it's the actual thing she's saying, I think it's the thing she's singing about. Um, there's no one else, uh, to, to my knowledge, who wrote a song about trying to impress a fellow swimmer at the swimming baths, uh, <laughs> or the, the sort of spectre of creeping gentrification, which is a fantastic song on the album, um, Depressed In. Um, mm. It, it could potentially sound whimsical, I guess, um, but it doesn't because it's, the music itself has got quite a bite to it. Um, I, I should mention uh, her guitarist for this is Dan Luscombe, who plays with the Drones, who are one of my favourite, probably my favourite Australian band after the Bad Seeds. Yeah. Um, so I think his involvement is quite important as well. But um, it also really 
Um, I really enjoyed the fact that it's, it's a non, fairly unheralded artist on a tiny label making a massive impact. Um, so this is Marathon, Marathon, I think, or Marathon Records. They they've really made a you know hit the jackpot with this one. Um, and just a final mention, it it actually made me think of the first thing it made me think of actually was um, an Oxford band, uh, Rainbow Reservoir. I think yeah. it's very kind of similar, um, led by uh, a sort of American called Angela Space. It's kind of a similar sort of thing, um, grungy, punky um, music um, with with real hooks, real sort of sing along songs, and really yeah. really fascinating lyrics as well. A good band and worth looking out actually for anybody who's not from the Oxford area. Um, and then the other Australian representatives were Tame Impala, um, who I know are a band that, in fact, we've been to see live ourselves yeah, ben, uh, yeah. a couple of years ago, and they were pretty staggeringly good were, live, yeah, I thought. Um, what were your thoughts on their latest, slightly more is it slightly more electronic? Sort of well, um, the list placing would suggest that this is a better album. Um, I, I would disagree. <laughs> um, I was a big fan of the first, which is Inner Speaker, um, and the second, Lonerism, but I have to say this one has largely left me quite cold. Um, the previous album sort of hinted at a, um, a sort of psychedelic pop indie element, uh, sort of a bit of a bit of the Beatles really. It was quite nice to hear um, a band who were obviously acolytes of the Beatles without sounding like Oasis. Um, what's interesting is the transition to what they're doing now. Um, when I say they, it's actually just one person, really, Kevin Parker, mm. um, even more so now than it was in the past. Um, the transition seems surprisingly natural in a way. Um, so what they've, what it, it is more electronic now. Um, there's a song on the album that's just called Yes, I'm Changing, as if to say, uh, I'm doing this and you can't stop me. Um, just a blunt declaration, he's sort of refusing to stand still. Um, so where where it's gone now is it's kind of gone... I, I saw them potentially going into filling the void that Flaming Lips have left since the soft bulletin. Um, mm-hmm. They've... Um, sort of Flaming Lips have gone further out into left field again, back to where they came from, and I thought that... Tame Impala might take that space, that sort of centre ground, They've as it gone, were. gone off to a duet with <laughs> yeah. Cyrus. Well, and all the rest, albums <laughs> yeah. and skulls and all the rest of it. Um, I absolutely love the Flaming by the way, but they've, they've kind of vacated that sort of central ground that could potentially be, um, you know, hits as well as it being quite sort of um, yeah. trippy sort of music. But this this new Tame Impala album has kind of moved into pop to R&B territory, really. Um, it, there's, there's elements of Daft Punk, there's elements of Air, there's elements of M83, um, there's even elements of sort of yacht rock, which um, is, is fetishized by certain people. But I, yeah. I really can't stand it. Um, there's uh, for me, there's sort of it's, it's too smooth. The album there's too much. It's too, a bit too uh, unhuman, um, a bit overproduced. Um, there's nothing really arresting the lyrics particularly. Um, there's uh, one song called "The Moment." begins exactly like Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Yeah. Um, What's a, wrong with that? Uh, well, there's, there's yeah. a really horrible processed vocal monologue on a song called Past Life, um, which is horrible. Um, and uh, interestingly, Parker himself has actually described the album as completely unlistenable, which <laughs> which is not something the marketing department <laughs> for Modular are probably too keen to hear. Um, so I, I, it, it may grow on me with, uh, with time, I guess. The first track, uh, Let It Happen, I, I quite like. Um, which is a really long sort of track to begin with, which is a sort of statement of intent. But yeah. I, I couldn't get much out of the rest of the album, to be perfectly honest. Um, certainly much prefer the two previous ones. Okay. Um, I was going to ask each of you which, and we probably cover some of the ground we've already covered here, but Neil, first of all, which, yeah. which album out of all the top tens um, would you say was your favourite? The ones that were included in the top tens, yeah. then we'll come on to the <clears throat> deserving ones that missed out in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Difficult. 
looking at some of these lists. I'm looking it's at not... Slater Kinney now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's fe- that's in the, the the Guardian top ten. Um, it's also in the it's definitely in the pitchfork list. I think down in the twenties. Mm. I don't know if it made it into the quietest because it's a, a band <laughs> that people have heard of. You know, um, for the new think, order, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose yeah. I think for them, I mean, a lot of a lot of bands. They you know they take time apart and then they come back and there's this kind of return to form thing, but for them, I thought the woods where they where they kind of took their break or the hiatus whatever you want to call it was a really really great album, and they've just come back from all that time away and they're completely on form again. Mm. It's a really strong record. It's you know good straight ahead fast angry songs. A bit like what I was saying. It's a short record with just 10 really good you know, songs and it's also you know but it's also quite experimental into not not necessarily in terms of instrumentation but in terms of the approach to the songs the approach to the guitar playing the rhythms and things like that from where they came from as a kind of you know fast angry punk band coming out of olympia um, way back when yes yeah and ben anything that you well, pick out just add to that seat kenny album and i, th- I think it is Sort of better than than uh, the comeback had any right to be really. Yeah, um, yeah. I was one of the people who was very disappointed to see um, Wild Flag um, dissolve after only one album. Um, that's the band record. that um, Carrie Brownstein and Janet Weiss were in with Mary Timoney and Rebecca, the keyboard player. I can't remember surname. Um, it's a good album. Though. Yeah, it's a very good album. But they they sort of split after one album, um, and actually. It's been a brilliant thing because not only has it given us this this really great um, Sleater Kinney album, which I think is is up there with anything they've yep. done, to be honest. Um, it also gave us Mary Timoney's XX, which was one of my favourite albums from last yeah. year as well. Um, my my other mention that I would say from the list that we've got um, is the Julia Halter album. I think um, it's I, I was sort of entranced by the previous albums without quite understanding what it was that I loved about them. Um, this one makes what she does uh, even more accessible without sort of losing anything in translation. Um, it is almost a pop album, um, mm-hmm. almost, but it's it's so clever in, in a lot of the songs. Um, it, it really is a great, great album, possibly possibly my favourite from last year, I think. Right, okay. But, yeah. And she was wonderful. I saw her in, in Islington in November, and she was really good live as well. Yeah. I think there's a few I would pick out myself. Uh, I mean, the Stara Ejeka album, which is number two in the Quietus uh, list, uh, is really good. Very sprawling, which we've already discussed. Polish. I'm not going to pronounce the actual title of the album. <laughs> no, I forgot. Um, uh, you know, really, really impressive piece of work, actually, and genuinely. Um, and, and one of my hobby horses that we will return to throughout the year is that there should be more non-English-speaking Anglo-country bands in these lists that that really need to be you know in this day of, these days of globalization but i think the one i pick out as i've actually enjoyed the most perhaps slightly surprising would be the jamie xx actually um mm. because i loved the the first xx album i thought it was one of my favorite albums in the last 10 years i thought it was a genuinely new and wow. different thing second album i thought didn't really move the sit- move the conversation on at all i thought it was just not as good didn't have the songs it was the same style of music what i've quite liked about this is it is more varied there's a couple of tracks that are definitely sound like the xx and then 
I think you've said to me before, Ben, that you think the the, the tracks that you like the the best are the ones that sound like the XX. But well, yeah. I, I have to find, I I found it um, I found it hard to get excited about the album. Yeah. Um, but uh, it certainly seems like some of the, the the tone is a bit more fun. There's a sort of element of, of uh, fun to some of those songs, I think. But yeah, yeah I, I kind of agree with you. I, when when the second album for, uh, came out, the second XX album, I thought that was very good. Um, but time hasn't treated it anywhere near as well as the first one. I think I think the first one is is tremendous. Um, but I, I I couldn't. I've just not yet been able to quite see what the fuss is about. This this uh, the new Jamie XX album. Other people who couldn't see what the fuss were about was the Quieters, who absolutely ripped it to shreds and accused him of being a complete kind of poser and charlatan in their review, which I thought was a bit ridiculous. Which brings me <coughs> on to the Quieters listing. I think it's fair to say it's quite different from some of the other <laughs> listings. Uh, are they willful obscurantists and contrarians? I think when you you look at the the first band featured in this list are a death metal band called Piss. What are they called? Piss I'm not sure. Grave or Piss Christ or something <laughs> like that. And they describe the vocals are described as a, a Saint Bernard being fed through a wood chipper. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if you guys actually listen to any of their stuff. But, I mean, you just sort of think like, right, so it's going to be like this sort of thing, okay? And then. Yeah, I mean, it's what you said about, you know, it's great that there is a site which is digging out music from corners, not just geographic corners, but, you know, areas, scenes that just don't get the mainstream coverage. I mean, I think it's it's fantastic that they're there to do what they're doing. I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to go and check out all 100 bands that they mm. featured. I think, if I could just to sort of take us off on a tangent, I think the... Um, one thing that came out a lot in a pitchfork list, and especially looking at the pitchfork list in comparison to like five years ago, ten years ago, is how all pervading R and B has become for not just as like the mainstream of pop music, but for like critical affirmation. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, two maybe not two thirds, but certainly a really large proportion of that list and the Guardians list is really mainstream pop R&B, so like Janet Jackson's mm. featured, you know, mm. like, I've, I've not heard that record, maybe it is one of the best albums of last year, but to me, it doesn't really inspire me to sort of rush off and sort of, it doesn't fire me up, but then that probably is where I come from musically, you know. I'm saying at least, at least that sort of quietest top ten, um, when you've not heard any of it, it kind of thinks, oh, well, I, you know, I, I probably ought to investigate yeah. some oh, of yes. this stuff. Mm. Um, Whereas you know, most people, a lot of people will have heard a lot, something at least from most of the other things on the other on the other That's list. That's right. So. Very very quickly, guys. Just uh, one album each that you feel <clears throat> what hasn't been recognised in the polls, at least not very high up, yeah. that you would pick out as one you should have been squarely in the top tens. Uh, for me, it would be Viet Cong. I suspect Neil might agree with me. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a great album. Self self titled Viet Cong album. Um, they uh, formed from the ashes of women who were a band that I really loved before and they were sort of a 60s garage psych experimental pop post-punk all sorts yeah. of things thrown in um, who had a, the second album was called Public Strain and quite uh, ironically they exploded on stage <laughs> one night um, so there was um, the shame about this is that there's sort of been quite a controversy over their name um, it's been seen as politically and racially insensitive and they're actually going to be changing their name um, really so that's really kind of overshadowed the quality of the album, which is a, is a real shame because I think it's it's a fantastic album. And it's only seven tracks. Um, it's got 
two stupendous singles on it, um, Continental Shelf and Silhouettes, and they're shoved away towards the back of the album. Um, and, and that last track as yeah, well, Death. 11, 11 minute song called really, Death, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And the, but I think <clears> what's my favourite song is, is, is March of Progress, the third song, which is um, sort of effectively three songs cut and shut together. Yeah. It works amazingly well. Um, it's got a great balance between experimentalism, sort of darkness and, and intensity. Um, and it's another real triumph for Jag Jaguar, which is one of my la- favourite labels at the moment. And Neil, what were you second um, that? Anything else? Yeah, the one I'd probably, I mean, I didn't really pitch up in any of these lists, but I know Rough Trade had it in their list, was Distractions by Sony Youth, who yes. are um four-piece kind of post-punk band from London. Um Kind of like what I was saying about the Slater Kinney album. I think it's like 14 tracks on but they're very short, tight songs, done well. You know, it's experimental within its genre, but it's not, you know, a big sprawling record. And I just think it's a, a really good collection of songs, one of the favourite albums I heard this year. Great. I think for me, I'll just mention the Ghost Poet album, which I think did appear fairly high up the Guardian listing, but I thought it's the best thing he's done. Yeah. Right. Our first album of the month for this January edition of Sounding Board is Savage's new album, Adore Life, um, which all of us rushed out and bought at the weekend. Uh, Neil, first of all, what are your impressions of the album? Um, I think it's a real... I probably need a wee bit more time with it, but I think it's a step on from what they did with the last one. Um, I think it certainly sounds more together. There's a definite kind of pulse that goes through the record um it's probably quite a muso thing to pick up on but i thought that i think the, the bass playing is fantastic <laughs> the way that um that um just drives you know pretty much every song and links in so well with the drums i think that the the drumming on this album the way it's produced is really really powerful more powerful than it was last time round. um and i think the song's I mean, we'll probably come on and talk about other some other reviews that have that have been out there and interviews and stuff. I think the songs, uh, you know, are in the same vein and they're still very very powerful, but they're just a bit more kind of lithe, I think, and um, they've got a bit more kind of power behind them coming from all aspects of the band. Um, it's a really impressive record for me, anyway. Yeah. Ben, um, well, I think. My uh, impressions often uh, heavily influenced by what my expectations were. Now, <laughs> back in back in May last year, um, they were interviewed by Rolling Stone, and um, they said it was influenced by Black Sabbath, Swans, um, harsh electronic music in inverted commas, and also by the fact they'd been collaborating with Bo Ningen on a mm. on a um, an album called Words to the Blind, which was actually taken from the first album. Um, they described the new material as being evil and uh, very heavy and very mean. Now, I felt a little bit let down, I have to say, by the album that's been produced because I don't think it really answers that description. It's whether you know a band or an artist are necessarily the best judges of their own uh, of their own judges of their own work. Um, that's not to say I didn't like it. Um, the name for me, so you know, suggests sort of primitivism and violence, and I don't think that necessarily comes across in this album as much as it did in the previous album. Um, Interesting. I think the artwork's interesting, the sort of clenched fist, um, but at the same time it's got a slogan on the front and in the first track, um, Love is the Answer, and on the last album the slogan was Don't Let the Fuckers Get You Down. It's, it's, it's sort of, have they become lovers rather than fighters, which was, was an interesting thing for me, and certainly um, there's a very personal dimension to the lyrics this time around. Mm. I think that's where it's definitely stronger. Um, lyrics are sort of very, um, yeah, very, very focused on love, um, sex, I think, 
Um, but it's it's a very particular type of of romance. You know, they, they've got a, a ballad at the end of the album called, but it, it's called Mechanics, and it's about sadomasochism. So it's not really a sort of romantic song. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the song When in Love as well. It's sort of the singer Jenny Beth sounds like she's trying to convince herself that she's in love mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, a band that sort of this, this album conjured up to me more than certainly more than the previous one um, was Warpaint. But I think this is much less. Um, it's got less vacancy than Warpaint. I find them a little bit wishy-washy. Um, it's got more needle, um, but I still mm-hmm. think with this album, I I prefer the idea of savages rather than the actual reality. I think the um, I like the austerity and aesthetic, but I don't think either of the albums quite does that justice yet. I've enjoyed it. I have to say, I I, I think um, you know some really good strong tracks on it. I really like a good squally guitar as well, which Mechanics <laughs> does have. You know, that's a bit of one of my favourite sounds. And um, Evil is, I think, sort of, you know, the standout in terms of sort mm. of radio friendliness. Um, and then Adore, which I think is, is a, a bit of a kind of lighter in the air, kind of squally ballad. Um, mm. It's the fourth track on the album is also impressive. So, yeah, I, th- I think it does. I, I think it does take them in a slightly different direction. Um, I think, as you say, I think the bass is important. I think the music generally, I think, you know, the main creative force and the founder of the band was actually Gemma Thompson, who's yeah. the guitarist, rather than the singer Jenny Beth. So I think there's countless bands in history that have had that format where the power is really behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very good. I mean, there, I wanted to draw your attention to a comment that came in an interview with the band in Crack magazine, which is a magazine <coughs> that a lot of people probably have seen like lying around sort of hipster coffee places and uh, <laughs> record shops the, the land over. Um where Adam Curtis um, had written an article in the New Statesman sort of really claiming that, you know, it's all very well to sort of claim that you're innovative and, and socially uh, groundbreaking, but if the music really is just yet another retread of kind of post-punk stylings, which, let's face it, have been going on for a long time now, is is he felt that that meant that it was, it was a few notches down in significance. And then Simon Reynolds, who's author of kind of Retromania and also Rip It Up and Start Again, uh, kind of apparently kind of was very uh, much in agreement with those comments. I, I think that's a little bit harsh, but anybody got anything else to yeah, say about that? I'd yeah. say it's pretty harsh as well. I mean, yeah. you could retort to Adam Curtis, well, making documentaries made out of refined footage yes, is, yes. is not exactly taking, you know, experimentation for Or to Simon Reynolds, publishing large, you know, um, or back books with Faber is not taking, you know, the um, the template forward in terms of experimentation. You know, yeah, not yeah. giving you stuff away for free, for instance. You know, yes. Um, I, I, I mean, where in terms of what savages are and what they do, like they, they are quite. It might be a, a retread to them of all. It sounds like Bauhaus or Susie and the Banshees or or whatever kind of bands they knew growing up. But if you think about someone who's who's going to a festival now, who's a you know, a young kid who's not seen many live bands. You go to a festival, you see a bunch of bands who sort of are ape in the kind of arcade fire kind of sounds, mm. you know, big whoa, whoa kind of like, you know, choruses and hitting random floor toms and things like that. And then you've got this band that's stripped back, you know, guitar, bass, drums, one singer, and they're being really powerful. They've got an edge to them. I think that is very different to what's going on in yeah. the kind of live music scene. Um, certainly on a kind of mainstream level, obviously there's a kind of 
punk and art rock scene that's always there if you look for it. But I think on the kind of the mainstream side of what you'd see at a festival, for example, they do stand out in that respect and they are very powerful in their musical approach. Where do they go from here, Ben, do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'd like... I'd like, like, I'd like an album that does just, just my idea of them, which I think is something that is more... I think the, the first time I had the musical intensity and this one's got the lyrical intensity, I'd like them to see if they could fuse the two, mm. really. But quite how they do that, I'm not entirely sure. I wasn't... I don't know what you guys think. I wasn't wholly convinced by the kind of love is the answer, positive message. There's, it's clearly meant to be a juxtaposition with the kind of rawness of the music... And I'm all for, you know, rock music being positive, you know. But I, I, I just, to me, sometimes it, it kind of seemed a bit false or seemed a bit, it just seemed jarring. With... Well, I was kind of wondering the answer to what sometimes. I mean, <laughs> that's sometimes a question in the yeah. album, I think. But I mean, one of the things that, that Adam Curtis said is that they, they lacked romance, I think, didn't he, in, in the article. That, um, he wanted there to be sort of post-punk was about tearing everything down, and but there should be some kind of, or punk was anyway, but there should be some kind of, Romantic visions, I think, is what the words he used. Yes, means. yeah. Now, Lover's Answer seems like a, a direct yeah. riposte to that, Absolutely. really. Absolutely. Um, but like I say, it's not a straightforwardly positive album about love in any no. sense. Um, it's it, it, There's sort of bruising and it's bruising and bloodied, and it's um, there's, there's all sort of power dynamics going on in so the songs. So that's an air. Yeah, it, it is, it is. It's, um, it's not something you're ever going to find in a Hallmark card, you know. No. It's, it's very... It's very um, uh, yeah, it's not not a conventional idea of love, I don't think. But lovers' yance is it's sort of being bandied as a slogan. It does seem like a, a sort of um, a repost not only to that, but also to the to the first album as well. I think potentially, maybe. But. Yeah, I I think to some extent, I think it was slightly. Um, I I just it didn't always seem wholly convincing to me. But then they're taking a risk with that having that as a slogan and having that as a kind of lyrical theme, and you know got to take your hat off to them for doing that what, what I didn't think was effective was uh, the song Sad Person which I think is the third song it's, it's got mm. the very cliched love is a drug type yeah sure. I think is, yeah. Is, is the one sort of low point lyrically in the album I think it's a good song but lyrically I think it's a low point okay so as promised um, we're going to reflect just briefly on David Bowie's passing a couple of weeks ago now which I think most of us were, were really shocked by I have to say when I first came across Bowie I was a, a bit of a sort of snotty 13, 14 year old listening to the Smiths in his bedroom, um, very much buying into the kind of Billy Bragg stroke punk um, DIY ethos, how you have to be close to your your fans, uh, doing things in bottom rooms of pubs, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Et and quite frankly, at that point, for someone who had no memory of the 70s, Bowie was one of the enemy he was there with <clears throat> phil collins and yes and the rest of them i mean you know he's probably in terms of aloofness from the fans he's probably more aloof than any artist has ever been you know <laughs> by completely creating a whole new persona around himself and then at that time you had you know the number one of 1983 uh, let's dance which <clears throat> still are still loathe and also you know the china girl video you know and and, and <clears throat> various crimes so so i wasn't particularly favorably disposed towards him but then, as always happens, a friend lent me some of his early stuff, and Lowe, in particular, I would pick out as being just utterly staggering. Mm-hmm. A brilliant, brilliant album, and you know most of his output throughout the seventies was really, really groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's clear that you know, talent-wise, is just 
on literally on another planet. So I think, you know, very, very sad to see him go, major contributor to British music and certainly my 14-year-old self was completely <laughs> misguided um, in his opinions at that time. So for me, my favourite moment would be live. I just want to ask Neil, Ben, any sort of favourite Bowie kind of like moments in terms yeah, of sort of I mean, I think it, I, I don't have like loads and loads. I'd say if there's one tune I really like, it's going to sound quite fu- it's funny after what you were saying about the <laughs> 80s. Like, but I love, I probably, if we're talking about a specific moment, yeah. I love the opening riff on the song Fashion. That kind oh, of mechanical, yeah. kind of weird, mm-hmm. harsh, abrasive guitar part, mm-hmm. which was played by Robert Fripp from King Crimson. Yeah. And I think, and I think that even though it was a real kind of pop hit, I do think like that particular kind of that shows the experimentation that was kind of inherent in everything the guy did. That he knew he was writing a big pop hit, and it went on to be a big pop hit. But he thought, I'll get in this guy from this weird prog rock band. And he's sort of playing music that sounds like, you know, a computer's picked up a guitar and just had a go. And yet it works incredibly well. And, and, you know, it resulted in taking the song just to somewhere else that no one else was doing at that time in in pop music. Okay, Ben? Um, Well, I was just going to come out with what you were saying before about the the sort of the punk aspect of it. Um, I read an interesting, one of the many, many tributes um, was from Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth. And he said... uh, Growing up as a punk, um, there were a few people who were sort of untouched by the ground, the uh, ground zero, with 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 the kind of um, the, uh, the the sort of dismissal of anything pre-punk. Mm. And David Bowie was one of those mm. people that was mm-hmm. that sort of avoided <clears throat> avoided the colours, as it were, um, possibly because of of what he'd done himself, but also association with Iggy Pop. Um, but this is let's not forget someone who played with Rick Wakeman. You know, he, he was he was <laughs> he was aligned with the enemy as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean. This is just, as I say, it's one of many tributes. I think um, it, it might sound, I don't want it to sound facetious or offensive, but as a sort of a moment for me that the actual, his actual death was, was very hugely significant because I think you, you realise that that it's one of those moments when you realise quite how important someone has actually been. Mm-hmm. Um, it released an extraordinary outpouring of emotion and tributes. I don't think there's any other musician, I can't think of any musician alive now who would prompt the same responses mm-hmm. no. from either a range, a range of musicians or people outside the world of music, I don't think. Um, you know, not Bob Dylan, not Paul McCartney, I don't think any, any, anyone else. Um, someone said that they, um, um, someone was saying they were surprised they woke up and, and turned on the radio to hear the Archbishop of Canterbury talking about David Bowie, and it, it was only after the little while they realised that he'd actually died, but this is a sort of, they get someone like that to, to comment on this. Yeah. Um, I think it really underlined how much he meant to, to music, but, but also culture, um, politics, social history, um, some of the some of the best tributes. I think um, Stephen Merritt of Magnetic Fields said he was a civil rights movement to himself, which I thought was a very good description. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know the, the sort of things that he it wasn't obviously musically he was fantastically innovative, and he was also a bit of a magpie. He wasn't just coming up with things in the void. He was also blending and taking up and synthesizing. I think he said mm-hmm. one of his sort of favorite um, skills or, or things he liked doing most. Um, but in terms of individuality and personality, sexual freedom, self-invention, imagination, lack of constraint, I think he was he was absolutely essential. Um, one th- sort of moment in a song that I really like, um, John Robb of uh, Louder Than War and the band The Membranes, um, he was talking about David Bowie, his own tribute, he talked about um, Bowie's otherworldliness, but also 
juxtaposed with with what he said was sort of he's oddly British as well at the same time. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> so um, I really like the reference to the Norfolk Broads in the middle of life on Mars. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, <laughs> it, it it kind of links the fact that even though he was this um, larger than life character in a sense, he was also still grounded. So which this links to your idea of him not being close to his fans. I think there was still something that people could relate to. Um, and certainly a lot of the people who've been paying tribute to him, um, the likes of Eddie Azard, for instance, clearly identified with him um, and it was a great help yeah. to them on a personal level. It wasn't like <clears throat> someone, someone who was this aloof star who was some kind of untouchable god. Um, yes. he, was, he was a real person at the same time. And I think you saw that when he toured, when he did the big Ziggy Stardust tour around the UK and he was playing everywhere, you know, mm. pretty much every kind of medium to large sized town. He was playing their corn exchange or their, you know, their town hall or whatever, their mm. big cinema. Um, and so he couldn't kind of help but be ingrained in that, that Britishness because that was, even though he was trying to create this space music, that was the scene that he was kind of encountering all over the country. Yeah, yeah. well, great. Thanks, guys. I mean, that's a fitting tribute, I think, to Bowie, who I think has sort of touched our lives in different ways. Uh, so that's the end of the podcast, really. Just a few words on terms of housekeeping. Uh on Twitter, we're at SoundingBoard69. We have individual Twitters as well, which we probably won't read out just now, but you, you'll come across them, I'm sure, at some point as you listen to more of the pods. Uh, hopefully, everything will be up on iTunes. Hopefully, in fact, you'll have come across this via iTunes and potentially other other sort of platforms as well online. Uh, we've got to do that technical stuff now, but that should all be up and running. Uh, if you really like what you've heard, and obviously it's going to be difficult based on one podcast uh, I'm told that leaving a review on iTunes makes a big difference uh, to uh, how well-regarded music pods are. We'll probably devote one of the future pods to discussion of maybe other music podcasts, what, what else is out there, other ones that we like. But one of the reasons why we started this is because we felt that, although there are a great many, um, there wasn't anything quite doing this at the moment. Um, not that we'd come across. Yeah. Apologies to anybody out there if there is. By no means claiming to have um, invented <laughs> the wheel. Um, we're mainly doing this for fun, of course. And um, and on Facebook, I think, Ben, we, we have a presence as well. Which, yeah, 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 which yeah. is uh, Sounding Board 69, 69 as well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so thanks again. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, tune in next month. We'll probably be around towards the end of February, start of March. And we've got one or two plans for that, which we will probably unveil over Twitter in the interim. Thank you.